Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining us again for another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. I'm Charles, and as always, I'm here with my friend Joe. Howdy, guys. And we're here to take you through the full 16 games, or rather 15, because as of yet, the Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers haven't played yet. But it was a bumper week for games in the Thanksgiving holiday celebration. So everyone plays. Everyone <laughs> plays. <laughs> so a few of the topics that we're going to be covering this week are firings, bans, a no quarterback game and the Thanksgiving that kept giving touchdowns. Without further ado, Joe, let's jump straight into the first Thanksgiving game. Texans 41, Lions 25. Yeah, the game that finally did it for Matt Patricia. What can you say about this game, really? The Texans ultimately blew the Lions away. It wasn't a great game. There were some moments that were comedies of errors, where you had back-to-back fumbles. The Lions turned the ball over three times. Houston turned the ball over once. There were a lot of bad things within this game. Ultimately, though, I'm sure Texans don't mind. They've got the W. But look... After the game that the Lions had the previous week when they were shut out to get kind of embarrassed like this on national television on Thanksgiving, this was a straw that broke the camel's back for Patricia. It was a Texans win. It was a high scoring game, which you thought it might be last week. It was a game of limited defense and, as you pointed out, plenty of mistakes. So really, it went largely as expected. I don't think either of us thought the margin was going to be quite as large as it was. And Like you said, that certainly would have added to the pressure that was put on Matt Patricia. But when two lower quality teams match up, it's always a bit of a crapshoot in terms of how bad they are compared to one another and what that margin ends up being. As we said only last week, we were looking at Matt Patricia and how long it would be before he was gone. We talked about game week 14. It turns out it was only game week 12, but the Lions' defensive performance this game... It's no surprise that he was asked to walk shortly afterwards, was it? It was atrocious. Like, it made Will Fuller look like DK Metcalf the way they were playing. Well, is that the only thing that made Will Fuller look like DK Metcalf? <laughs> yeah, so, so let's go on to that. Is it the only thing? Good question. Now, who are we to judge sitting here when we don't know the details for sure? But if it was just Will Fuller saying, I made a mistake, I thought these were fine, my doctor told me wrong, well, then you'd say, silly boy bit of a mistake you should be in control of what's going into your body but you know people do make mistakes whatever but the fact that there's more than one Houston Texan who's getting done for PEDs at the moment it smells like it looks like there was maybe a culture of juicing a little bit and I'm not saying the whole team or anything like that but you get groups of players who start to do these kind of things I'm not saying this is what it is but it starts to look like that when it's more than one player in the same week on the same day yeah as you said We're just kind of speculating at this point because we don't know any of the details, but it certainly feels a little bit fishy. What we don't need to speculate on is that the Texans are extremely thin at wide receiver right now. Randall Cobb went on IR last week. They released steals last week. So basically the only fit wide receivers in Houston right now are Cooks, Cootie and Coulter. Triple C. That's it. No depth behind that. So I'm sure they'll be looking to address that in the next week, perhaps bring some players off the practice squad. But they're extremely thin on the ground for wide receivers. And we've got to bear in mind as well that this was the last year of Fuller's rookie contract. I was just going to come on to that. Extremely silly thing to do there. He has just cost himself a lot of money. He'll get somewhere to play. Someone will pick him up if he doesn't stay at the Texans. You know, he'll get a team, but now there's questions about his character, questions about his judgment, all of these kind of things. It's going to cost him money. So he's only got himself to blame whether this was intentional, accidental, whatever it was. Just a silly thing to do. Do you think he will stay at the Texans or do you think they'll release him? I think that's a really good question. I think that the Texans, whatever happens, are in some kind of rebuild. I think that Watson will probably have some kind of say in it because at the end of the day, they got rid of his number one wide receiver last year. I know they're a team of wide receiver twos right now, but if Watson wants him to stay, it could influence things. It all depends on who the new GM, who the new head coach is, if they're not going to stick with what they've got there right now. I don't know. It's it's hard to say, but I would say probably 60-40 he goes. Yeah, I've got a feeling he'll probably go rather than stay, but there are a few moving parts there, so we'll have to wait and see. 
I think when you look at what the Steelers, and I know that this was a deep draft for wide receivers which just had, but when you look at what the Steelers did where they picked up basically two ready wide receivers from a draft, not even in the first rounds, I think the Houstons will probably be thinking, why pay a player like Fuller decent money when they can just go into the draft, rebuild and pick some players up? Not that the Texans have great draft picks coming up, but they might be thinking along those lines. Yeah. Right, should we move on then to the Washington and Cowboys game? Washington 41, Cowboys 16. And can I just say, Joe, before we get into it, two for two here. I mean, this is already looking like a much better week than last week. We're back on the good ship win, right? (laughs) We're back on the good ship. And another Thanksgiving game where the winning team put 41 on the other team. This was a weird game because at the end of the day, Dallas weren't out of this game until into the fourth quarter. They were going into the final quarter 2016 down. And we're going to talk about this a lot during this podcast, but play calling. Play calling turned this game. The game was close. The game was on the line. It was a four-point game with plenty of time left in the fourth quarter. And for some reason, a fake punt was called, which was a turning point. After that fake punt, which was just a shambles, Dallas got absolutely mullered and gave up 21 points. But again, though, Two bad teams, massive margin, plenty of mistakes. And talking of mistakes, Zeke Elliott had another shocking game. And I feel like, yeah, we land on him time and time again this season. What do you think is going on here with Zeke? I can't explain it. Here we have an absolute top running back playing like a bang average RB2 at the moment. I think you're doing him a bit of a favour there to call him an RB2 really because he's he's not even really playing at that level like I made very clear last week his first 100 yard game was against the Vikings but that seems like an outlier and anomaly there a lot of people can be quite cynical about this and say basically since he's got paid he's been rubbish but a player like Zeke there's always been concerns about his maturity always it's why he didn't get picked as high in the draft as he thought he would there was a whole contract squabble with the Cowboys last year. There's been legal battles. There's been so many things in Zeke's relatively short career to this point that imply an immature player. And when you give an immature player a lot of money from a cynical point of view, you can get issues. Now, give him the benefit of a doubt, then it's very hard to explain why his performances are like this. Like you, I can't really explain it. Yes, the Dallas line isn't what it was a couple of years ago when he first joined the team, because when he first joined the team, I mean, the Dallas line was probably the best in football when you had Fredericks, you had Martin, Smith. You had some great guys in there. It's not what it was, but I mean, if you're getting paid that money, you've got to be better than just a line. You've got to transcend that, and he's not doing that. Look, mate, it's probably the money. It's probably the money. He's probably got paid and got lazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> what else can I say? Yeah, well, this game has left Dallas at the absolute dead last spot in their division. Who would have called that at the beginning of the season? Imagine that. We certainly didn't, did we? No. We certainly didn't. A team that looked absolutely stacked on both sides of the ball has been a car crash. And I think Zeke's stat line kind of summed up that game, really. 32 yards on 10 carries and a fumble. The way he is going, you could certainly see him perhaps getting benched and maybe putting Tony Pollard in to give him a bit of a rocket, maybe. Who knows? But look, give credit where it's due to other players. Antonio Gibson had himself a day, 20 carries, 115 yards, three TDs. I mean, that's certainly the best game of his short career so far. He was, you know, backed up quite well by Barber. Like, I mean, Barber had 11 carries for 57 yards. So both the running backs for the football team had a pretty good day. But like I said, look, with this game, I think everything comes down to that fourth quarter punt. And I think you've got to look to the coaching for that. Why did they make that choice? Why did they think that was a good idea? There was over 12 minutes left on the clock, timeouts intact. Why would you do that? Well, McCarthy has to be the next manager that's on that hot seat, right? Uh, He's definitely one of them. We had this discussion a couple of weeks ago, whether it be McCarthy or Patricia first. Clearly it's Patricia. But McCarthy, yeah, this seat is at least warm, but it could be getting a lot, lot hotter quite soon, especially if embarrassing games like this keep on happening in prime time. So from one embarrassing game to the next, Falcons 43, Raiders 6. And before we start this, Joe, I will say, despite the fact that we both backed the Raiders, you did call out last week 
could the Raiders perform as well as they did? Will they have a bit of a dip in performance? I mean, that was an understatement, a dip in performance. Yeah, and I don't really want to take credit for anything really because I said they might have a dip, but I never foresaw anything as bad as this. I mean, the Raiders just did not get going whatsoever. I mean, they gave up five turnovers to the Falcons, who, let's be honest, the Falcons have been a terrible defence. If not for the Seahawks, who are a historically terrible defence, the Falcons would be bottom of most of the defensive stats in the league right now. So, given five turnovers to this Falcons team, it says it all, really. Look, Charles, I really can't explain this one. Just nothing happened. Nothing got going. I know they lost to Kansas City, but I think they gained a lot of respect in the way they lost going toe-to-toe with one of the best teams in the league. What can you say here, mate? Well, I think a large element comes down to Derek Carr's performance, but I think Derek Carr has been reasonably solid and has, in fact, shown flashes of brilliance throughout this season. So I think you kind of put this down to just an outlier in terms of statistics. He very much looked like he had to give the other NFL quarterbacks their power back. <laughs> but it's, it's got to be a new low in Carr's career, though, when he gets benched for Nathan, Mr. Interception, Peterman. Yeah. <laughs> like, we've seen some bad quarterbacks playing football over the last five, six years, most of them for the Browns, but Peterman's probably had one of the worst games that I've seen until we maybe get on to another player a bit, bit later on the show. <laughs> but at least that player wasn't actually a quarterback. Now, before we move on from this game, there's just one piece of information that I'd want to leave the listeners with, just as a food for thought. But if Gurley had correctly run out the clock against the Lions in that terrible game which they threw away, the Falcons would now be 5-1 and one under Raheem yeah. Morris. So does that hint to the fact that this was all a coaching issue all along for the Falcons? I don't know if you can say it's all a coaching issue all along because everyone's a professional athlete here and where some things are obvious play calling, I don't think many people were saying that the play calling was that wrong. There was something wrong in Denmark and a big part of it was coaching. But I think it's always a little bit unfair to just blame the coach because there's a lot more factors to it than that. It's clearly a big issue. It's clearly a big part of it. But who knows? Maybe they would have still gone 5-1 and one with Dan Quinn. Maybe. Unlikely. You just never really know these things. And unless you're in that locker room, you're in those players' heads, I wouldn't want to make a statement like that. But you're right to bring out how interesting it is that they are 5-1 and one since the coaching change. And I think that Morris you know, probably will get the starting gig now. He's made a very strong case for himself. Or he might get pinched by someone else. You never know in this league, do you? Mate, you do never know. If he doesn't get the job at the Falcons, there is a good chance that he could get a full-time job elsewhere. Eric being and me at Kansas City is probably the hottest property in coaching right now who's you know not a head coach, being the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs. He will get a head coaching job in this season or off-season, guaranteed. So aside from him being kind of top of a tree, there'll be lots more jobs that come up and there'll be lots of coaches who are kind of floating around, but he's put himself in a great spot here. Cool. Okay, so moving on to the next game, Chargers-Bills. 27-17 to the Bills. What do you have on this one, Charles? I think I have it. Bang on the money, Joe. Bills to win by 10. Nailed it. Is this it. what you pre Yeah. Although... Well done you. Well, yes, well done me. But <laughs> despite that, it was one of those really, really weird games where it did end up a 10-point margin, but it kind of felt like it could have been a blowout for the Bills, or it could have even been a victory for the Chargers had things gone a little bit differently. Yeah, so when I was watching this game, I made one note on this, play calling, and I think that's something that you want to talk about. For sure, because you mentioned last week whether I thought Lim would be given another season to turn this Chargers team into a winning team, and I thought he would be, and then I watched this game, and suddenly I'm a little bit less confident. I mean... Twice in the game, they had the opportunity to either reduce the score with a field goal or try for a touchdown with no timeouts left. And both times they decided not to spike the ball and run it instead and blew both of those chances. Yeah, the way the game ended was one of the weirdest endings to a football game. It was almost like it was people who'd never watched a game of American football before and never understand how the clock works were making the calls towards the end there. 
Like, I'm not sure if, like, if they thought they were being clever doing a run play with the clock on 50 seconds, trying to catch the Bills off guard, but it made them look very stupid because they were literally on the two-yard line, first and goal, and came away with nothing. The defence, you know, have to answer some of these questions, but I feel like it's plays like that that have cost the Chargers games earlier on in the season as well. He's a bit too wild card, Lynn. And part of me just thinks, look, just do your basic NFL stuff because you've got a quarterback there that can take you to victory. If you can just get the plays right and get your defense set. Yeah, it's it's kind of all well and good being like this kind of gambling kind of coach. But you need to get these gambles right more than you don't. Riverboat Ron has a job right now because he might have gambled a lot, but those gambles paid off. And if those gambles didn't pay off, we wouldn't be talking about him now because he wouldn't have a job and he wouldn't be in the league. But if you're going to do these kind of things, you need to get them right or you need to get the majority right. And just none of the calls that Lynn made were right. And then having said that, the Bills should also have never let the Chargers back into the game when they were 24-6 up. And there were plenty of mistakes in the play towards the end of the game that could have seen them throw away victory, essentially. So it's kind of one of those games that there was the capacity for it to go quite differently. Bills gave up turnovers when they didn't have to in the fourth quarter. You're totally right. They should have seen that game out more comfortably. And like you say, teams better than the Chargers will punish teams like the Bills for how they played in that fourth quarter. Yeah. Just one last quick little point before we move on. Herbert joins Mahomes in being the only player to surpass 3,000 yards in their first 10 starts. And that's really impressive. Really impressive. Averaging over 300 yards through the air, first 10 games. No one's done it aside from Mahomes. Wow. Right, let's move on then to the New York Giants versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Giants 19, Bengals 17. I tried to get a little cute with the Predo on this one. I thought if the Bengals could just play solid, basic football, rely on their run game, They'd sneak a win. They did okay, but in the end, it wasn't to be. Why don't you talk us through this game, Joe? I think the main thing to take away from this game was control of the ball. Giants ran 80 plays. Bengals ran 46. So getting off a double the amount of plays. Giants kept the ball. They seemed to be happy to pound it with Wayne Gorman. 24 carries, 94 yards, 3.9 yards a carry, which is respectable. For the Bengals, Allen was okay, but I mean, he threw an interception. He lost fumble drew sample lost the fumble as well the best way to kind of sum this up is that the cincinnati bengals had 153 yards total offense during the game i mean they got nothing going in passing or in rushing really they had 164 yards though through kick returns it's a rare day that your special teams outplay your offense but that's what happened in this game giants did nothing particularly good they didn't astound me in any way but they got the w and that put them top of the division Yeah, I think that sums it up pretty well. I think the only additional thing to point out is that probably part of the reason that it was only as close as it was was because of Jones's leg injury. Otherwise, they might have ended up getting a couple more scores. I can't see either of these teams winning another game with these two quarterbacks under centre. So let's wait and see how long it'll take for Jones to come back. But yeah, tough times for both teams. Yeah, it's a bit of a sad blow for the Giants, you know, getting to the top of the division. And I know it's not really a deserved achievement they've got there. But, you know, once they get on top of that small little hill, they then lose their quarterback. I'd probably say at this stage now, I'm not sure what your view is. It'd be good to hear it. But I'd probably say Washington are the favourites to win the NFC East now, probably at this stage. Yeah, if Jones doesn't come back, I think that's probably... Yeah. Yeah, if he misses a couple of games, I'd say so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's move on anyway. Let's not dwell on that one too long. Next game, Titans 45, Colts 26. I mean, what a matchup. This was a game to watch. We both called this game wrong. Now, I don't like to make excuses. The only thing I will say, Colts were down Pro Bowl center Ryan Kelly, elite defensive tackle DeForest Buckner, and several other players in the front seven. So... That might go some way to explaining how the Titans ended up with 45 points, which is definitely rare for a solid defensive Colts team to allow. It was a bad performance from this Colts D. 
compared to what we're used to. And we spoke about them as being one of the probably the most balanced defenses in the league. But I mean, look, they didn't stop Henry. And I don't really care what plays you've got out or what plays aren't around. The game plan's pretty simple. Stop Derek Henry. You gave up 178 yards on 27 carries at 6.6 yards a carry and three touchdowns to Derek Henry. If you do that, you're going to lose. Ryan Tannehill is going to walk away from this game with a 108.3 rating. It's pretty undeserved, really, right? He passed for 220 yards, and 69 of those yards were what AJ Brown made by himself just through a great run after catch. You take that away, and Tannehill basically threw for 150 yards and no touchdowns. So there wasn't much behind Derrick Henry, really, or the Titans didn't show too much behind Derrick Henry. But if you don't stop Henry, you're not going to stop this Titans team. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I've got a question for you off the back of that. And that's whether you still think that the Henry deal was a silly deal for the Titans. One thing is for sure, they'd be a nothing team without him this season because defensively, they're not solid. And as we've just discussed, Tannehill has proved himself to be reasonably average. Henry has dragged this team to the playoffs by the looks of it. Is that enough for what they've paid for him? Yeah, and I think you've partially answered my question there, right? Behind Derek Henry, there isn't as much depth to this O as there perhaps could be. You know, they've got a couple of decent wide receivers in AJ Brown, in Corey Davis. There's some all right plays there, but teams have shown that if you stop Derek Henry, you can stop this Titans team and make them look pretty average. And the Titans will get stopped in the playoffs by a decent team that stops Derrick Henry. And then it'll be on Tannehill's shoulders, he'll throw some interceptions, and we'll get knocked out of the playoffs. A well-coached team, a well-drilled team, and a team that sticks to the game plan will beat this Titans team. And at the end of the day, it's all well and good, like running over teams in the regular season and that kind of stuff, but what matters at the end of the season is who's playing in the first week of February. And paying Henry all of that money, it's money you you're not paying elsewhere where you can make this a more rounded team. Henry's been great. He's been very impressive. He's a very good football player. He deserves all the plaudits that he's getting. I'm not criticizing him as a player whatsoever. And when they rely on him as much as they do, it makes this kind of argument seem ridiculous. But ultimately, it's bad in the long term to have your whole team focused around one player like they do. I mean, you talk about that. Henry ended up rushing 140 yards and three scores on 17 carries in the first half. You've got to put that on the Colts, though. You know what's coming. Stop him. I know he's a great... He's a beast. He's an athlete. Right? I know that. But you're a professional football player. Stop him. Have a game plan for it. Imagine being in a game where Henry shreds you for so much in the first half that the Titans basically trot out Donta Foreman and Jeremy Nichols for the second half. Elite running backs will make their own space, will, will find yards by themselves and not need a line. But it's hard to almost have a comparable to know how much is purely Henry and how much are you know, holes being made for him. Because they just use him so much and don't trot out players like Foreman too often. Yeah. So it's hard to get that, that comparable there. I don't know, look, I'm not going to criticise Henry because you sound ridiculous saying it when he's just had a game like he did there. It's not a criticism on him at all. It's more just a way that this Titans team have built their team. And my belief and my philosophy on the game is that in a modern game, you're not going to win the big games by taking that approach. Okay. So moving on then to the Browns 27, Jaguars 25. This game was way closer than it should have been. But, you know, you'd have probably said that for the Jags against Green Bay as well. They've got a funny way of hanging with teams that they probably shouldn't be hanging with and then getting blown out by what people would argue are lesser teams. You look at Mayfield and Glennon, they have very similar stat lines for this game. Mayfield, 258 yards, two touchdowns. Glennon, 235 yards, two touchdowns. It was the running game for the Browns that separated the two teams. Browns are now 8-3, and three, looking very good for the playoffs. Jags come out of this and it's cost another man his job. I don't think we really learned too much about either team. Was there anything new that you saw in this? Aside from the fact that Glennon looked half decent and is probably going to be the quarterback that they go with to see the season off, not really. 
maybe this is my vendetta talking, but I look at a team like the Browns and I mean, as you just said, they're 8-3, so they're doing okay, aren't they? But I just feel like they've got an impressive wide receiver core. They've got tight ends. They've got a fantastic running room. They've got a great defense. I just expect them to be lighting it up a little bit more. And for me, where it falls down is Baker Mayfield. What are your thoughts on that? You stop the Browns with pass rush. If you get pressure on Baker Mayfield, he'll either take up sacks or he'll throw interceptions. And there are a few players in this kind of mould where if they have time, they'll make good throws. And I mean, you can say it for Kirk Cousins, you can say it for Tannehill, you can say it for quite a few players, Goff, where if they have a clean pocket and time, they're proficient, good, technical quarterbacks. But they can't think for themselves on the fly as much as the elite quarterbacks do. And that's what separates the good quarterbacks from the bad quarterbacks. Because ultimately, from a mechanical point of view, these are all excellent elite quarterbacks. They're in the National Football League. They're starting for National Football League teams. They know how to throw a ball and they can put the ball on a sixpence. And they can all do that given time. What separates the good from the bad is how they deal with the pressure and how they deal with the pass rush and how they deal when the pocket collapses and they need to get out of the pocket. Mayfield's not a quarterback who can deal with that as well as better quarterbacks can. And it all starts to break down once you start to put pressure on there. And again, if you stop the run with this team, which is a big part of the Browns and a big part of a cold kind of Stefanski mentality, you stop the run, they can't play play action then and it all starts to fall apart. Yeah. Right, let's take it on then to Vikings 28, Panthers 27 and Joe. Your predo from last week was Panthers by a point. You literally just the wrong team. You were so close, man. So close. And actually, if it wasn't for that wonky field goal at the end, it would have been Panthers by two. Panthers by two. Yeah, yeah. This isn't a game really again where I feel that we learned too much about the teams. I think that the Vikings should consider themselves lucky. The Panthers should feel like they threw this one away. Panthers were twenty-one ten up. And it happened in a flash. I've never seen this, I don't think it has happened before, where a player has had back-to-back fumble returns for a touchdown on two consecutive plays. But it happened. It was one of those freak things. Panthers 21-10 up. They should have seen the game out. And then when at the end there, when BB muffed the punt, I thought it was curtains. Fair play to the Vikings. They came back. It's really weird now. Like The Vikings are in kind of limbo. They're 5-6. And I think you need six or seven wins right now to be in playoffs in the NFC. In all likelihood, the Vikings won't get playoffs, but they're still kind of technically in the hunt now. All this does, though, is it takes the Panthers out of the hunt because at four and eight, I think they're too far back. Yeah. Meanwhile, though, Justin Jefferson continued his campaign for Offensive Rookie of the Year. He looked good again, Charles. I think it's got to come down between him and Herbert in all reality. I think it should. I think the names you will still have thrown in there is that all because he had that massive first game, he's kind of burnt himself into people's retinas and that's Edwards Hilaire. So he'll still be in the conversation. You'll have Herbert in there, like you rightly say. And Claypool, perhaps. There's a case for Claypool. I think that CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, they've fallen back. They're not really in the conversation anymore. No. Brandon Ayuk has fallen back as well. Jalen Rieger as another first round wide receiver. It was never in the conversation to start with. So yeah, I think you're right, really. At this stage now, offensive rookie of the year should be between Jefferson and Herbert. It normally goes with the quarterback, but let's see what happens. Yeah, I think if Herbert continues to perform like he has been doing so far, there's probably that quarterback bias and it'll go towards him. But if he has a slightly cold December, it's Jefferson's to uh, to snatch, I think. Absolutely. And I think there will be some more games where the Vikings will be airing the ball out. So it's fair for him to try and take. That's for sure. Cool. So on to another game which we narrowly missed out on. Patriots 20, Cardinals 17. I don't really know what to say about this game. I don't know where it went wrong. Murray looked to me like he held on to the ball a bit too long. And maybe you've got the stats there that back that up or not. He held onto the ball for a bang average amount of time, 2.62 seconds on average. Oh, really? <laughs> but then saying that, on the eye test, there were a few plays where it did look like he was hesitant. 
where it looked like he was slow to release and his decision making in terms of whether to run or pass, it looked like he was in two minds a lot of the time, which is probably just the play calling. Yeah, and I, I think you're right on that. And I don't know whether it was because the Pats were running a very good D and the options weren't there for him. I don't know. I mean, Hopkins always has a bad game against the Patriots. Belichick just has his number. Yeah, and I think that it could have just come down to that. Like, I mean, like, you know, the Cardinals offensive unit were leading the league with 414 yards a game going into this matchup. They finished with under 300. The Patriots just found a way to constrain them. And, you know, don't get me wrong, the Patriots O didn't do anything special whatsoever. But just the D came up big when it mattered. And this is typical Belichick winning those key moments. Drake, 4 from 1, end of the first half. He goes over and gets the touchdown. It's huge. They held him. They held him at 4 from 1, half ended. It's those kind of pivotal moments that were the factors that made the Patriots win. They could have won, dare I say, by a little bit more. I mean, you know, Gunnar Ozuski, he had a punt return for a touchdown that was pulled back for uh, an illegal block in the back. You know, had he got back, that's another 7 points for the Patriots. They could have been knocking around 30 points. Cardinals are a very strange team. It's really hard to call on them. They have a not great record now, I think, of 6-5. and five. I've seen them play games that have looked incredible, and then games like this would have looked pretty pedestrian. They need to sort this consistency out by the time playoffs come around if they make playoffs now. Yeah, but we've said that about their whole division, haven't we? The Rams, who we'll get on to shortly, the Seahawks, the Niners. We've said about the whole conference, really, mate. Like last week, I said basically the NFC. It's just all the leading teams there are so up and down. We said it about the Bucks. We said it about Green Bay as well. Saints are probably the only team in this conference that you'd think you can rely on to a degree. The Saints are the only consistent team in how they've played, but you know they obviously have their quarterback out now, and so there's question marks there. There isn't a team in the NFC at all, which I'd say there are no question marks over. Whereas in the AFC, Steelers, Chiefs, you look at those teams and say, yeah, they've played pretty well, really, all through the season. Swiftly moving on from that game to another game, which I can't imagine we'll spend too much time on either. Dolphins 20, Jets 3. I mean, we said Dolphins by 14. It ended up being 17. Jets felt like they were deliberately bad. Dolphins played as you'd expect the Dolphins to play. I don't really have a lot more to say other than that. I mean, when the Jets are so obviously tanking for Trevor, there's not really much point in discussing their games, really. Only kind of thing I wanted to bring into this, Donald, as we know, the Jets are clearly going to be drafting a quarterback in the first round, well, probably the first pick of the first round next year. Donald has got stuff to play for because he's not necessarily out of a job, but he's out of a starting job. And there'll come a point where he'll probably be looking for a new team. If that's not next season, it'll be the season after. And so you'd think that he would want to be putting up some decent stat lines to show to the league that, yeah, I might be in a bad spot here. I might be playing for the Jets, but I'm still a decent quarterback and I can still come and start for you. His performance in this game just didn't reflect that whatsoever. I mean, he was 16 for 27. 197 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, and a final rating of 51.0, which is pretty bad. Like, I mean, that's worse, really, than Flacco's been playing over the last few weeks. So probably one of the only people in the Jets organization who's really got something to play for, Donald didn't really show much. It's a good point, and I would I'd just counter that with a suggestion. But the games that Flacco played in, the offensive play calls were delegated to somebody else Gase took them back for this game did Gase take them back yeah and I almost feel like Gase was making Donald play with one hand behind his back do you know what I mean because the play calling was atrocious but then we say that Gase is someone else it's no good getting that first week if you're not going to be around to go and select it yeah good point (laughs) like I wouldn't be so certain if that's the way that Gase was thinking I'm sure it wasn't it's perhaps more likely that Donald will still be around with the Jets next year than Gase will. <laughs> yeah. All right then, 49ers 23, Rams 20. Goff, what are you doing to me? I slag you off week in and week out. Then you go on a bit of a streak and I go, okay, maybe I have to take back what I said about Goff. No, I'm leaving it out there. So, so, so I'm just looking through Goff's stats now and it's kind of weird that we're moving on from Donald to Goff because 
I just uh, listed Darnold's stats, and I'll just go through them once more. So uh, Sam Darnold was 16 for 27, 197 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, and a 51 pass rating. Goff in this game was 19 of 31, 198 yards, so one more than Darnold. Zero touchdowns, two interceptions, exactly the same as Darnold, and a 52.9 passer rating. So Goff was basically Sam Darnold playing for the Jets in this game, which shows really how bad Goff was. I'm almost at the point now, Charles, where I'm giving up, really, just trying to work out what is going on with his teams. We've been talking about it now for a few weeks, but there's just no consistency. Goff was great against the Bucks, and I think it did his standing a fair bit of good. Just He was just really, really bad. And I know that the... The 49ers had some players coming back. I don't think that explains this. And in such an important game, you know, was it pressure? Because this would, you know, keep them at the top of the division. I don't know. I don't know. But look, one thing it was, it was the first loss for the Rams at SoFi. And it led to McVeigh criticising Goff after the game, which is something that he hasn't really done to this point. McVeigh said afterwards that our quarterback has got to take better care of the football. A rare kind of dressing down there from him. But completely justified I mean as you pointed out it was a really important game for them and Aaron Donald was awesome yep the Rams defense played very well all Goff had to do was play sensible football I'm going to butcher the words of Theresa May here but safe and stable that was all Goff needed to be and the Rams win this because they held the 49ers to 23 points and they put them under a lot of pressure Goff just had to, you know, get one person touchdown or keep going with the run game. The run game was pretty poor, though. Cam Akers had a decent looking stat line, but one of it just came from one big play. You take away his big play and he was like eight carries for 23 yards. The whole of the offense, really, for the Rams was poor. Not just Goff, but in general, it was pretty poor. Yeah. All right, then let's get to the uh, to the game we've all been waiting to talk about. Saints 31, Broncos 3. Why don't you start, Joe? Well, it was like watching football from the 30s. And just out of interest, I have watched a couple of like really, really, really old games just running the ball all game. But I mean, this was a terrible game to watch. It was, it was a terrible game to watch. I feel sorry for Hinton. He had no practice. He's a wide receiver. He was on to a loser. He was never going to achieve anything at all here. But I mean, the Saints, Taysom Hill... Taysom Hill wasn't much better than Hinton was. Taysom Hill only completed nine throws. He only made 78 yards. He threw an interception. His pass rating was 43.2, which, just to remind people, is lower than what Goff and Donalds was. And I know that the game script meant that he didn't have to throw the ball much, but I mean, even in blowout wins, you'd still probably expect to complete more than nine passes. If I'm taking one learning from this game, it's that Taysom Hill is definitely not the answer when Drew Brees finally packs it in, which, you know, could be the end of this season. And the Saints are going to have a problem if they can't find a replacement pretty quickly. Yeah, the only thing I would say is the Bronco corners were exceptional. Their coverage was fantastic in this game. And we've seen Bronco shut down teams before purely from their defensive play. And I think we saw that again. I still don't think that justifies how bad Taysom Hill was he's not a quarterback and I think this whole kind of like narrative of he's a quarterback who can do all these different things you watch him play and he doesn't have the poise doesn't have the mechanics of a quarterback and he's definitely definitely not the answer for the Saints in the long term no but I think he's a perfectly serviceable backup quarterback I mean he's still scrambled for two touchdowns I don't think he's a serviceable backup quarterback by how he looks and how he plays the Saints have been extremely fortunate, really, that they're playing Falcons, Broncos, Falcons in these three games that Drew Brees has gone. And I know that the Falcons have improved, but the Falcons played absolutely garbage last week when it got beaten by the Saints. If I was a Saints, I would maybe even look at giving Winston the start, which I maybe would have never said at the start of a season. Okay, interesting. I think going with James is a bit of a a gamble against a Falcons team that is starting to improve defensively because I think we've seen from this week the Falcons can generate turnovers and interceptions. Well, they did it once. I don't necessarily think that that defense is suddenly good all of a sudden. No. I think this was an anomalous game. But what I would say is more important here is if the Falcons go and start scoring points and you need to throw the ball, I wouldn't want Hill in there. I'd want Winston in there rather than Hill. Cool. Well, 
before we move on then, I don't want to embarrass the guy, but I feel there's a few important stats that I, I should pull out about Hinton. So he had more interceptions than completions. Than completions, yeah. yeah. Two interceptions, one completion. The Broncos only had six first downs. Wow. And Hinton forgot to take his mouth guard off his helmet for two consecutive drives. <laughs> look, look, mate. He was clearly thrown into it. He was clearly nervous. he was. He's, he's a practice squad wide receiver who's suddenly starting quarterback for the Broncos. I mean, it's ridiculous. I've never, in all the time I've been watching a game, I don't think I've ever seen a 0.0 rating. I think a 0.0 rating, I think I've only seen is when like you've played me on Madden. Whoa now, whoa now. Had to sneak that one in, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Uh, it may have happened once, <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, look, this will never happen again. Hinton will never have to worry about reading roots and all that kind of stuff again. Look, it is what it is. Collector's item. Let's move on. Cool. Chiefs 27, Bucks 24 then. You called this one correct. I was praying for a Bucks upset. It nearly came. What were your thoughts on the game, Joe? It's a weird game, really. Like, wasn't it? Like, that first quarter was one of the strangest quarters in terms of the amount of yards that Tyreek Hill got. I mean, mind-blown. I think he ended up with 203 yards and two touchdowns in the first quarter. You extrapolate that out, and he was tracking for over 800 yards for the game. The way the Bucks were set up with a single cornerback on Hill, if you do that, you're going to get burnt. So you've got to look at what the defensive coordinator was planning there and what he thought he was doing. But that basically led to the loss, and I think it was almost unrecoverable after Hill had burnt them after that first quarter. You've summed it up very well and that it was a weird game because it was so one-sided to the Chiefs at the beginning and then the Bucks made a big comeback. My initial reaction was, oh, well, do you know what? The Bucks can go toe-to-toe with the Chiefs. But then there's also a part of me that thinks, well, were the Chiefs still really trying towards the end there? Well, one of the kind of interesting things, and this is going to sound silly when he's just like gone over 400 yards and given Tyreek Hill 270 yards, Mahomes looked like he was making mistakes a little bit more than often. Now, he's going to leave this game with, I think, a stat line of three touchdowns and zero interceptions. But had the Bucks not committed penalties, they would have intercepted him twice. And these weren't plays like the kind of Aaron Rodgers type plays where he's got a free play, so he's going to air it out and just hope for the best. And if he gets intercepted, well, who cares? Because it's a free play. These were plays when Mahomes didn't know there was a penalty going and he threw two interceptions. So it was weird that it was... Mahomes just looking absolutely outstanding and imperious at times, but then making silly mistakes that he was lucky to get away with. Look, the Chiefs look great. Overall, they look great. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This was a D that, you know, five or six weeks ago, I was saying to you about how this was one of the best Ds in the whole league. And now we've had a few games that have been pretty average. The run D was still solid. They completely limited Bell and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Yeah, 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 we did. But you're right, in the air game, they were not as potent as they normally are and he'll completely embarrass them. Absolutely scorched them. And it's pretty damaging to a player like Carlton Davis who was supposed to be covering Hill. Like, I mean, these aren't games you get over very quickly. No, you're absolutely right. Right, Packers 41, Bears 25. The Bears finally go below 0.50. <laughs> yeah, and another team that scored 41 points this week. Oh, yeah, good, good spot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, nothing gives me greater pleasure than for the Bears to dip below 0.50 at Lambeau. I mean, I've got a stat for you, and it's a an historic Bears and Green Bay stat, but... 195.6. Is that what you're going to tell me? Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> you're predictable, mate. But, you're predictable. But, Next... Next, you're going to say to me, and also I've got a stat for you and Rogers, 50,000 yards. Um, no, I'm not going to talk about that one. But what I was going to say is, in 1994, the Bears led the matchup series 82-59-6. And it's yeah, now 95-99-6. Like, that's, that's a massive turnaround. Rogers as a starter, is 20-5. and five. Wow. Yeah, and I think that Brett Favre 
was probably kind of right up there as well. You've got to remember that back in the 30s and 40s, the Bears were the dominant team. Oh, so team. dominant, yeah. In football, when George Chalice was in charge of that team, the Bears won a lot of championships in the 30s. It, like, it was always between them and the Giants for a long time until the Redskins became a team. And I can call them the Redskins because they were called the Redskins it's then. It's fine. We're talking historically here, Joe. <laughs> we're talking We're talking historically. I don't have to edit that one out. <laughs> There's normally about 10 a week, but you can leave that one in there. So it's so an interesting stat that they've got a 100th win over the Bears. Bears, I said this a while ago, they were a team who had no business being 5-1. and one. Since they were 5-1, and one, they've lost 5 and they're now 5-6. and six. I would say the Bears are probably out of playoff contention right now. They've got the same record as the Vikings, but the Vikings have got the head-to-head against them. And like I said earlier, the Vikings aren't making playoffs. So if the Vikings aren't making playoffs, the Bears definitely ain't making playoffs. I text you during this game. So I was watching this game, and I text you saying that Trubisky looked all right. And that was about halfway through the second quarter. And yeah. literally, when I pressed send, <laughs> he went and dropped an interception. And this is it with Trubisky now, I think. It's concentration and just lapses of judgment and there were probably two or three points there where his judgment was just terrible like I mean that interception he threw was triple coverage it was like what are you doing but if Trubisky had just made some better choices and better decisions he would have had a good game and I know that's ifs and buts and ifs and buts but there was more good from him in that game than what we're probably used to yeah I think another thing to point out is we said last week the Bears don't really have a run game they still found a way to run on Green Bay and that is not the Bears run game being good that is as we've said time and time again the Green Bay run defense being particularly weak now yeah they couldn't lean on that run game too much because they found themselves so far behind too often chasing the game yeah yeah, yeah. but a team that is not in that position is going to have great success running the ball against Green Bay. And that's what makes me nervous for the playoffs. Yeah. And I mean, that's a bang on point because Montgomery's not had a great season at all, but 11 carries, 103 yards. He averaged 9.4 yards a carry. And again, he had a long of 57. You take out that long of 57 and the stats aren't quite as good, but he's still going, you know, over four yards a carry, even if you take away his long. So big problems there from the Green Bay run defense and we've said it all season like you say they haven't addressed it and that will be their downfall yeah and then uh, the only other bad news for Green Bay is the Corey Lindsley injury which yeah if that is a long-term thing it's going to be a massive blow to us so fingers crossed that that doesn't keep him out for too long he's been having a very good season and I said previously that I think PFF grades are a load of nonsense but just kind of directionally PFF have had him as the number one center in the league this season. So he's definitely been doing some things right. That line is extremely important for what Green Bay do. Yeah. Let's go on to the last game then. The last game that we can talk about this week because our Ravens and Steelers. So the last game we can talk about Seahawks 23, Eagles 17. Are we going to do our whole kind of thing, Charles, where we talk about how bad Wentz is? Do we want to do that? Do you want to start that off or... Wentz was bad. You've heard it before. Wentz is bad. You've heard it before. Yeah. Six sacks this week. Only six. <laughs> that, isn't that just like average for him? Yeah, just just another week in Philly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, dear me. Yeah. Wentz was appalling. The Eagles looked completely lacklustre. Metcalf had another monstrous night catching 10 passes for 177 yards. Yeah. To the point where he was having such a good game that Darius Slay got so annoyed, he gave him a good old shove and had to take the personal foul on that. Imagine playing so well that the cornerback just <laughs> lashes out. Yeah, um, Slay called it the worst game of his career. Did he really? And I think that there was some added incentive for Metcalf because Jim Schwartz, who's the defensive coordinator for the Eagles, he had said prior to the game that Metcalf reminded him a bit of Megatron, but he wasn't at Megatron's level yet. Yeah, I saw that. Which is a real douchebag thing to say to someone. Like, There's just no need for it, is there? There's just no need. Like, It wasn't like he went up to him and said, do you think I'm as good as Calvin Johnson, mate? Do you think I could be like him one day? It wasn't like he did that. So why go and say something like that? Why, like, It, it was just a douchebag thing to say, and it went and bit him. So fair play to Metcalf for showing him where to stick it. Mate, this Eagles team were terrible. First quarter... They had minus four yards on offense. 
They're the first team to have a negative yardage after the first quarter since the Bears against the Eagles in uh, November 2019. The first three drives were three and outs. They were just terrible. We were talking about the kind of hot seat. I think you've got to start putting Doug Peterson on that hot seat now. I know he won Super Bowl a couple of years ago, but what good is that now when your team's like this? No, I completely agree with you. I think the other thing that's slightly weird as well is we both saw it going exactly the same way. We had the Seahawks by seven. They ended up winning by six. Six, but close. the way we had it going is we said, do you know what? This is probably one of those games where things click for Philadelphia and we know the Seahawks can't defend it against the pass. They'll keep it close and, and Seahawks will still win by seven. They won by less than that. They won by six, even though the Eagles were so bad. Yeah. Which is odd, yeah. I thought. 23 for a Seahawks team, is that relatively low scoring? It feels like it is. It feels probably low scoring against this Eagles team. It's a hard one, Charles. I really struggle to have too much of a positive opinion on the Seahawks. After they started out the way they started, Wilson papered over the cracks kind of so well that I was on that bandwagon. And when the Seahawks were kind of 5-0, and I thought they were the real deal. Most games over the last five weeks have raised more questions than they've answered. I mean, they've got the W here. You can only judge on what you're seeing. And the last five weeks, I don't think this is a team that has any depth in the playoffs. They'll probably make the playoffs. They probably will. But they're not going to go far, I don't think. I mean, I think the thing that really let them down this week was the run game. Carson did okay. He got a touchdown. He ran for 41 yards on eight carries, which isn't terribly efficient. I thought Carson was all right. And when you look at the way he got his touchdown, I mean, that was good aggressive oh, nice. while running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Carlos Hyde, 15 on 22 carries. Absolute garbage. And you're right. And we said this last week, when the Seahawks won last time, we said that it was because the pressure was being taken off Wilson. I mean, he had a more balanced offense there and it allowed Wilson more time. It gave him more options. Hyde playing like that, he was probably certainly get a, a lower percentage of the carries going forward. I think they're easing Carson back into things. I expect to see that run game improve when Carson takes over a little bit more. You'd certainly like to think so. Yeah. Okay, so like we said, we uh, we won't be able to discuss the Seahawks-Ravens game. That's due tomorrow night. We record on a Tuesday, as we always say. So shall we move on to the predictions, Charles? Let's go for it. Cowboys against the Ravens, if it goes ahead this week. Yeah, so let's just think about this. So this is supposed to be now Monday night, isn't it? This was going to be the Thursday night game. This is the Monday night game now. Correct, yeah. Okay, so we normally start with a Thursday night game. There will probably be no Thursday night game this week. So Monday night, Cowboys-Ravens. There is nothing in terms of any evidence whatsoever that could make me predict a Cowboys win. <laughs> no. Despite the Ravens being a little bit off-kilter recently, I think you've got to go with Ravens. I think this Ravens team will probably be coming off a loss to the Steelers. Let's just say that they are. So saying that they're kind of coming back from a couple of losses, they're going to need a win and they're going to want to show that they're still the business. I can see this Ravens team, you know, putting a 21-point lead up. You don't even need my predo. It's exactly the same. <laughs> Excellent. saints Falcons. Yeah, I still think the Saints have what it takes, even if Hill starts. I'm going to say Saints by 10. Okay, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is here. I criticised Hill. I watched him play. I think he's that bad. I think all it takes is for Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley to get clicking and put some points up. I'm going to go Falcons by one. Cool. Right, two Lions at Bears. Yeah, the bottom two teams in the NFC North. Lions, obviously, without a coach right now. You know what? I think there are enough flashes from Trubisky and their defense is still good enough. I would say the Bears by three. Okay. I think that maybe a new coach, you sometimes see it, new coach steps in. All the players are playing hard for someone new. I think the Lions will win it by 10 again. It could be because I think that from everything I've heard, Patricia wasn't particularly liked by the players. So maybe they'll feel a bit more relaxed, but who knows? Colts at Texans next game. I've got this one Colts by seven, a bounce back game for them. Yeah, I agree. I think it will be a bounce back game. I think 14 though. I've got them by two scores. Okay. Bengals at Dolphins. Oh dear. I'm not looking forward to this game at all. I just, 
don't know what the Bengals have without Joe Burrow, so I'm going to say Dolphins by 17. Yeah, I'll give you a clue. It's nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, just to be different from you, I'll say Dolphins by 24. Cool. Big score. That means the Bengals are going to have an upset. Yeah. Right, Jags at Vikings. So Jags have been hanging with teams probably more than they should, and the Vikings are more than happy to kind of give up stupid plays and let teams into things. I think I've got to go with Vikings. Vikings by three. Yeah, I have it exactly the same way. Raiders at the Jets. Ooh, hopefully the Raiders can put up more than six points this week. I am going to say... If they do, it'll probably be Raiders by six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say Raiders by 17. Raiders by 11 for me. Cool. I think they're going to want to put some pain on the Jets. But, you know, maybe Donald now he's got his eye and will do a little bit better. Who knows? Washington football team against the Steelers. Yeah, I mean, Washington... No, who am I kidding? Washington still play badly. I'm going to say the Steelers by 14. Steelers by seven. Cool. This next game, it's going to be one of my, I have a feeling, specials. Browns against Titans. And your feeling is for the Titans, I assume? Nah, Browns by three. (laughs) Yeah, I figured as much. Browns defensively, when they click in... Uh, better than they get him credit for. I mean, Miles Garrett has been one of the best defensive players out there in terms of sacks, in terms of pressure he's been on the quarterback. He's destructive. And if you can break through that Titans line and get to Henry before he gets going, you stop this whole team. And I think that the Browns are capable of doing that. So if they play the game plan right, I think the Browns can spring an upset here. Browns by three. I'm going to say this game goes to overtime and... The Titans get the touchdown. I will be so upset if your call of a game going to overtime actually comes true after I was <laughs> agonisingly close to getting it right at the start of the season. Robbed in game week one. Absolutely robbed by Randy Bullock. I'm still angry with him. <laughs> You've got his name etched into your wall at home. <laughs> yeah. Laces out, Randy. Yeah. Okay, next one. Rams Cardinals. Where do you go for this one? Because both really hard one. Both teams have shown they can do it and both teams have shown they can't do it. Just because I like them more, I'm going to bat the Cardinals and I'm going to say the Cardinals by seven. Oh, I really, really struggle with this one. You know what? I, because I don't know and because you've done it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say overtime. And then the Cardinals to, to get a touchdown. All the points. Nice. Yeah. 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 Giants at Seahawks. Seahawks by 14. Yeah, I think without Jones, they're rudderless. Yeah, I'll go along. Yeah, I think that's a fair shout. Nice. Eagles at Packers. Uh, I'm going to say Packers by 17. I don't think it's going to be that distant. I'm going to go with the same kind of theories last week that the Eagles, at some point, they've got to play well. At some point, they've got to string one good game together. So it'll be a little bit closer. Packers by eight. Okay. Patriots at Chargers. I'm going to just go with historic stuff here. I feel that the Patriots have basically always have a Chargers number. I think that the Chargers are a team that just, you know, Belichick lives rent-free there. Patriots by three. Yeah, I see it exactly the same way. Maybe not from a historical point of view, but I think that Anthony Lynn has shown that he doesn't have the play-calling ability to hang in close games, whereas Belichick's an absolute chess master. So, yeah. Yeah, Patriots by three. Broncos at Chiefs? Yeah, I mean, assuming that the Broncos have a quarterback this week, I think, I don't know, you know, defensively, the Broncos are quite good. So maybe Chiefs by 14. Okay, I was going to say Chiefs by 10. Nice. And then finally, Bills at the 49ers. Hard one, this. This one is tough, yeah. 49ers coming off a good game, but this should be a home game for them, but it's going to kind of be an away game. Adds a little bit. I'm going to go Bills, and I'm going to go Bills by six. Yeah, I think it's going to be Bills by seven. I think it it could be close because the 49ers are performing a lot better, seemingly, but I still back the Bills because they feel like a more complete team at the moment without so many injuries. It'll be very interesting to see how San Fran get on at uh, State Farm Stadium for at least the next two games. Yeah, so how come they're not playing at home then? 
Santa Clara County, which is a county that San Francisco falls in, I guess, have banned all contact sports due to COVID. So it means that the 49ers can't play at Levi Stadium. And it also means I think that they can't train in the county. So then, so the next two home games, this being one of them, have to be played at Arizona's ground now. And I suppose they're going to have to find a facility to, to train. Yeah, they've not really announced what's, uh, what's going on there. They've uh, just said that more information will be given in due course. I guess I'll have to announce something quite shortly. Very strange situation they find themselves in. Like There was so much that kind of went on on Saturday. We had the second of Patricia. We had the second of Caldwell. We had more ins and outs on the Raven-Steelers game. And then we had this, which I guess is what got kind of lost in your newsfeed. But yeah, uh, Santa Clara has banned contact sports. So no playing at Levi Stadium. Well, there you go. Another big week and we're getting ever closer towards the end of the regular season, Joe. I don't want it to end. I just want more football. We are getting closer to Saturday games, though. And I love it when Saturday comes in uh, week 15. That is true. The week before Christmas, you go to Saturday <laughs> night games, which is always great. So there's some good times ahead, but some limited good times ahead. Okay, I like it. M positively. It's been great chatting to you as always, Joe, and we'll speak next week. 